like th- there's there's this really thoughtless um space that we're all in where people are wrapping together Hamas Palestinian civilians the actions of a right-wing government in Israel that's been right-wing for 20 plus years and a prime minister who was on his way out who had protests in the streets about him up until this went down you have his government's military response to this and then you have the instances of anti-semitism and islamophobia here in the united states and people are just lumping all those things and all those instances and all those actions and all those people together and then picking sides in that nebulous space and what i would say is that for the president of the united states there is the bandwidth to show respect for human life to promote humanitarian efforts in the middle of a conflict to support a government that you believe is justified in pursuing terrorists responsible for civilian deaths and also on the domestic front here at home stand against islamophobia mm-hmm. and anti-semitism i don't think there's any contradiction in walking and chewing gum but i mean that's just me hey welcome to good guys getting better i'm christian hanley Malene Bobright. the usuals we're back we are <laughs> been a couple of weeks i took a little bit uh, a little bit of a break you know had my birthday did a little bit of traveling and uh relaxing and not wanting to be um not that i don't love doing this with you guys it's the the editing the sharing the social media side that's just uh can be a lot of work so <laughs> took a little bit of a pause and now we're back um and yeah john you wanted to start it off today talking about the republican uh can we call it a shit show? I mean, is there a better term for it? I don't know. What 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 are we thinking? Or at least no, it was it was more the Trump the Trump trials you wanted to kick it off with, right? Yeah, I think you know. But before we get to that, one happy belated birthday. But thank you. Two in the spirit of good guys getting better. I mean, when you and I talked, you know, you yeah. had planned just some time for yourself. Um, yeah, just some time to recharge the batteries. I mean, I don't want yeah. to put you totally on Front Street, but how did you arrive at that and how did it go? I mean, I know food was a part of it for sure. <laughs> food was a big part of it. Um, it was it was equal parts uh, food, um, reflection, being outdoors, being without distractions. Um, you know, it, it was you would ask me, I think before I went, like, why am I going by myself? Like, why? And people were saying things like, have fun. And those are sort of natural responses, but it wasn't about who I was going with or, and the objective wasn't to have fun per se. I mean, there were fun moments, sure. But, you know, I've gone through a whole bunch recently. Like a lot of us have. I mean, we all went through pandemic and a whole lot of other things, but, you know, in those same years, I also went through a divorce and, um, after all of that and pandemic and all that started another relationship and that has since concluded. And I've now been doing a lot of work in therapy on just figuring out my own stuff by myself as an individual. And the birthday trip was to kind of just have to sit there and sit with myself, um, not be distracted by taking care of my son, not be caught up in sort of the adrenaline rush of work because I work in a really high paced, um, stressful industry where it can be very easy to get um, caught up in the news cycle, caught up with distractions and not check in with yourself. Um, 
And so, yeah, um, in addition to <laughs> the eating of good food and uh, taking in some scenery out, out in the mountains, it was a lot of reflection and contemplation and having to sort of like, what, what do you do when the noise stops? Who are you when you're not dad? You're not employee, whatever. You're not, you just have to sit there with your own thoughts. And, you know, I journaled, I wrote, I worked on my book, uh, I hiked, I took in scenery. But at the end of the day, you're sitting there and have to actually reconcile with your own thoughts and feelings. And you don't have the distractions of, you know, in my case, work, my dogs, my child, <laughs> house care, housekeeping, <laughs> stuff around here. So, no dogs yeah, it was experience. What's up? No dogs were with you either. either. No, I just, I, I literally, no, I got a, um, a quick commuter flight and stayed at a, at a hotel. No dogs. I mean, it was literally like I could not be distracted. I mean, not that I don't have a home and a place to live where I can relax and chill, but like I, I live in a neighborhood with my dogs and my child and people knock on the door. I say hi to neighbors. Like there's, there's still part of, of that. By being out of my own space, I literally could not be interrupted, distracted, whatever. If I was just having a moment to contemplate or to write, nobody knew where I was, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was a very different experience than just sitting at home. I mean, uh, it, it could on the surface seem to be almost the same thing, but it really wasn't. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, Chanel and I have tried to plan and schedule vacations mm -hmm. with that principle in mind. You know, like, yeah. there's something to be said about completely unplugging, right? And, yeah. uh, and it's interesting, it's almost like it happens in phases. Like when yeah. you unplug, that doesn't necessarily mean that you power down, you know, like right. you need to be out of your environment, you know, you need mm -hmm. to have things that keep you connected, right? Uh, either not with you or at least at a place that's not accessible. And then you yeah. just needed, you need time outside of time. You need that Kairos. Mm -hmm. you exactly. Know, you're just like, you know, you are not, you are not working chronologically mm -hmm. and that can be a hard habit to break, right? Mm -hmm. Like always feeling oh. like there's something you need to do. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. first day was, was, yeah, it was, it sounds odd to say it was an exercise. It really was. And, you know, it was funny because I, I sent you that photo of, um, when I stopped off at that barbecue pit on the riverside and got those ribs and I ate those, went for a walk. Um, but as the sun went down, I'm seeing, uh, cause there's a university nearby and uh as the sun's going down i see everyone headed into the old downtown area everyone's going to the bars and and going out for the night and i literally i this is when i first was like just just arrived and wanted to unplug i think i was back in my hotel by 7:30 p.m. watching a movie and was asleep by 9:9:30 i was so <laughs> exhausted i saw everyone going to the bars and i was like i can't i do not have that <laughs> i don't have that energy right now <laughs> Uh, so here's my here's my question to you then, and yeah, and Liam, I'm sorry to cut you off. Maybe you can answer this too. Um, is there a little bit of the vacation? Chanel and I always ask ourselves this question: Is there a little bit of the vacation mindset, the vacation experience uh -huh. that you can take and then apply to your day by day? You know, like is it something that you can carve into your day by day that will allow you to have some vacation and some off time? Yeah, again, I, 
I'm I calling sort it of vacation, struggle with whatever, what, yeah, whatever you exactly. want to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the tricky thing is, is it really a vacation? I mean, it was time out of time, like you said. Um, yes, there were, there were, so there by, by sitting with myself, I don't want to say by myself, but with myself, having to sit with my thoughts and, and do a lot of processing, because as you know, I'm someone who has rushed through a lot in life, both personally and professionally and having to just sit in stillness. Um, there were some hard things to come to terms with that once I did, you know, process and think through them, I now have, I think, healthier outlooks on a few things now that I'm back home and back in the swing of things. Uh, and then in terms of practices too, uh, being intentional about, I mean, I have to write so much professionally anyway, I'm, I'm writing six days a week, seven days a week. Um, taking the time to journal and and just even if it's only for 10 minutes just in the morning first thing with your coffee just do something to kind of check in with yourself uh that that's something that i haven't been super diligent about i would say since getting back but it's um it's a practice that i started before going and then really had time to delve into while i was there and since i've been back it's um it's an important thing to do because at least for me anyway, having the time to sort of check in with myself and think about where I'm going, what I'm doing, and writing my way through it to process it really avoids getting into any sort of um, spiral of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also been helpful to just sort of kind of keep my depression at bay, you know, by sort of... Because it's so easy to kind of, I, you know, we did another episode of, of this pod, or I did, uh, with with Chris Littlefield a few weeks ago before I went, and he was talking about how um, someone had told him, you know, the mind is a dangerous place, don't go in there by yourself. Mm. But realistically, we have to be with ourselves, you know, you can be in a crowd of a million people in the middle of New York City, you're still dealing with your own mind, right? But having those um, times to reflect and write. Um, either before bed or first thing in the morning or whenever works for you. That's something that since, since that trip has been helpful to keep going. So, so you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting and listening to uh, this experience from you, uh, Christian. I, I start to, I'm starting trying to think about how I could do that or have I done that. And, and, and just, it just, I'm learning, I'm understanding that it's such a foreign idea to me to, yeah. Uh, go somewhere by myself and be by yeah. myself. Be content with that. Uh, and I think part of the problem is how many people are, are like this. I'm sure there's plenty. Uh, there's a lot of people. Um, is that um, <laughs> I I spend a lot of time in my own head anyway, right? So yeah. It's not, so it's almost like I, I I'm I'm used to talking to myself. And mm -hmm. having conversations with myself that are never come out of my mouth, you know. Uh, so I think right. about what it, what it, what what it, what do I want and what am I doing and is this okay and, and all that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, you know, so I I live that existence already, uh, while at the same yeah. time functioning in the world of people and not wanting to necessarily be alone. It, it's interesting, yeah. but I already feel alone in a way. Um, mm. that's, again, this is, this is my own, own, uh, psychosis, if you will, is that you know, I feel alone <laughs> at the same time. I'm not, and I, and if, if I'm 
forced to face just myself, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how would I not think about everything else and all these other, all the other things going on. I you think that yeah. sound now is my sound okay with you, uh, Christian? No. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess. I, I, yeah. I guess the the the, the thought that I'm I'm trying to to share is that this process of knowing thyself, understanding thyself, and then appreciate mm-hmm. self. You know, it's like all those elements bringing them all together and, and a process by which to do that. And I think um, what you just experienced, what you just did uh, with your trip, probably is a good, good method or a good pathway to get there. Well, I was going to say, you know, to your point about the the feeling alone, what I think a lot of people who do intellectual work feel that way, and not just that one group of people, but a, a lot of people do. Even when you're surrounded by others, you're you're still caught up in your own head. But I think here's the difference I realized since this this, and it wasn't long; it was just a long weekend. It was just a couple of days. But after that time, I realized the difference is there's a difference between the being caught up in your head in your daily life when you've got responsibilities and work and kids and whatever. And it's sort of your um, spinning thoughts or going in circles or whatever. That's different than getting away from those external stimuli that are informing or maybe misinforming your inner thoughts and feelings, separating from them temporarily. And then it's not just ruminating or going in circles. It's taking time to write and reflect and be intentional. Um, you know, you both come from traditions of prayer and, and going to church. I, I don't do that. Um, but I think it's more, it's more akin to sort of a meditative practice like that, where you're not just having racing thoughts and trying to figure things out. You're not forcing, um, yourself to arrive at a certain outcome. It's more about the quiet contemplation and then allowing yourself to see where that takes you. Whereas the the being in your own head, at least for me anyway, I'm not trying to speak for you, but in in my regular daily life, it's very outcome determinative, right? It's it's, you know, I have all these thoughts and feelings. How do I arrive at this place where I have a conclusion that I want, personal or professional or otherwise? This is much more um sort of listening to yourself and then taking the time to reflect. I did that with pen and paper, not that there aren't other ways, but that was sort of my my approach. I think regardless of your your tradition um, mm. or code, meditating, the actual exercise of meditating, like when you break mm-hmm. down the the mystique of meditation, it really is about having an awareness of your thoughts and engaging yeah. intentionally engaging with the thoughts that are meaningful and at the same time letting the meaningless thoughts mm-hmm. um letting the what meaningless are you... I didn't mean to do that <laughs> <What>? that, that <laughs> I know some people watching this are going to see this so Apple this is a wild tangent Apple has these now it uses AI to capture your uh gestures so I guess oh, I just did oh. double thumbs up and when you do that fireworks happen in the background <laughs> okay I was just going to try to play it off like nothing happened, but uh, if we do it on your screen, it'll happen again. Well, no, no, you know. Uh, at any rate, we can't control it remotely. But what, what I was saying is that the the harnessing, I guess, 
mm-hmm. over your thoughts, or really it's kind of releasing you from the thoughts that bind you, you know, like that's at the core yes. of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's, you know, yeah. there's exactly. there, certainly um, different traditions of meditation, you know, like there is the focusing on one thing or nothing. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, there's a focusing on really nothing and yeah. or like focusing on one thing. And then in either situation, allowing the thoughts that are distraction to fall to your wayside, to the wayside. Uh, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, that is just a healthy habit for anyone, regardless of their tradition to be. It doesn't require um, mm-hmm. a particular religious, religious affiliation. Um, with that said, religions obviously we weigh in on it. But as a habit and as a practice, it's just so healthy to have. And it's something that I don't nearly do enough. But when I first started doing it, even in your day to day, and I did it as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. just to still, still the racing thoughts that happen, you know, when you're competing, when you are faced yeah. with pressure packed moments and all the things that you could think about, you think about, but they're really a distraction from executing. Um, mm-hmm. But you start that habit with, with just meditating, with actually practicing it. No different than, you know, for me, practicing a forehand or a backhand or a particular strategy. Or in the case of basketball, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we talked about this a couple of pods ago, but I actually love being forced in those moments of pressure because part of it is the training that I've done as an athlete. And I know that in most cases, I'm going to feel a lot less pressure than my opponent just because mm-hmm. I've trained it. And I look forward mm-hmm. to it because it's, it just makes it more challenging. But I think the same can apply in the day-to-day life. Sure. You know, like how well, what I would say, it? yeah, yeah. And I, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a delay, but yes, um, you do. Well, <laughs> exactly. I'm just trying to yell right over you. Um, but no, it was something that you just said about about being in that that moment of pressure. And I think for a lot of people who would call themselves type A, a lot of ambitious people, you love those moments of pressure. The problem is, though, is that like anything else, they can become somewhat addictive, right? And you, if you are not always feeling that pressure, that rat race, that all of that motion, you feel like something's wrong. Right, you almost feel like you you feel as though absent having that fast pace in your life and and those pressure cooker moments that like you're not doing enough. And I have to tell you, I think it was day two. There was this just enormous feeling of emptiness, and I had to sit with it. There was no escaping it. There was nothing to. I mean, I texted with a friend. I went for a walk. I got some food. Like I, I didn't do literally nothing, but there was no running away from that feeling. It was just once that once because like we're talking about distractions, right? It's not just distractions from the things you want to do in life. It's distractions that we have that keep us from actually tapping into what we're really going through, what we're feeling, and how we want to process all of that, and sort of getting away from all that extra stimulation, getting away from those distractions. Before I got to a point of sort of synthesizing and putting things together and and reconfiguring my thoughts, not to sound, you know, too, (laughs) I don't know what that that sort of terminology is, but, but before, before getting into all that, there was dealing with an entire day almost of just feeling this huge sense of emptiness, because what you realize is when you are, on you know in that sort of rat race like a lot of us are your sense of self to to a large extent is being constituted by really frail and um often meaningless things like title 
like uh, a sense of busyness where there should be a sense of self-worth giving yourself a sense of of worth through being busy and when that busyness is gone then who are you what are you um but you know by the end of it i wanted to come back and be in my house in my neighborhood in my community with my son with my dogs with my job with my work with all of that stuff i wanted to return to it but having that time away was necessary to get back in touch and not just be um a compilation of titles and actions and work but actually come back more in touch with myself as a person which is very different than a job title even your position as a, as a parent or a member of your community yeah yeah christian you wrote something this summer about leisure you know, like this isn't mm, oh, the yeah. first time we've had conversation mm -hmm. like this. Um, and you talked at length about even if I recall, even our notions of leisure are predicated around work. Um, yes, you know, it's, like it's we, defined by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, it's funny, I in talking with my therapist and our even even in church today, it's really kind of ironic, you know, but, you know, talking with my therapist you know, leisure, you know, your leisure shouldn't be work. You know, like, yeah. you know, there is a point at when your leisure crosses over into a task that you're performing and not what mm -hmm. it's designed to be. Exactly. You know, so the real, yeah. real question for you, for Lee, maybe for our listeners is, uh, as we try to get better, as is the name of our podcast, <laughs> um, do we yeah. have opportunities for that time out of time? Do we have opportunities for different notion, a different notion of leisure that is like, you know, we're just, you know, we're not looking at the clock, we're not performing a task, we're enjoying, we're enjoying what's happening right now, you know, and mm -hmm. it's funny, I have, I think I have that with both of you in terms of our friendships. Yeah. Aleem, you and I, Aleem is probably at this point in my life, one of the few people that could, and part of this because he lives around the corner, you know, but could come by literally like 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> And like, yeah. we just, we just sit on literally on the stoop and just kick it and talk for hours. And like, yeah. not really thinking about the time unless, you know, it's a work night, but Aleem yeah. doesn't sleep anyway. So yeah. it doesn't really make a difference to him. True. Um, and then, you know, Christian, you and I have been more daytime oriented in our leisure. Um, yeah. But, you know, not intentionally, it's just been, <laughs> just been the way it's worked out. And, but also around food, you know, like, you know, our well, experience yeah. of leisure has been around really good food experiences, um, conversations that just require time to just slowly unpack and mm. uh, an occasional, you know, cigar or pipe tobacco and a good drink. Um, and there's nothing I will say it. this, though, when it comes to food, I want to just interject really quickly. Um, the photo I sent you of those ribs. Yeah. It's a good photo. <laughs> the ribs were fine. Thank you. you they were fine. Because I probably would have had to go and find some ribs. But, <laughs> but, but I will say, the entire time I was eating them, I was comparing them to the racks you smoked last Fourth of July in Annapolis. The entire <laughs> time I was comparing them. And the problem is, is that unless you go to a real pit, this is still it. It built itself as a barbecue joint, but you know. I could tell they were kicked off, not by cold smoke, but by or slow smoke, but by parboiling to tenderize them, which is a cardinal sin. Uh, and it relied uh, too heavily. 
on the sauce for flavor. It did not, and and it 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 lacked the requisite amount of hickory smoke, and it did not have a bark to speak of. Mm-hmm. So well, oh, I'm just saying, man. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm holding yours. <laughs> Well, the parboiling—that's yeah—that that should never never happen. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm okay with it. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a pork aficionado, be you know ribs, but you know, so it would satisfy me. But you guys are a little <laughs> bit—it's uh, it's almost like wine to you guys, and I can't you know I, I don't get down with ribs on that level. <laughs> that's that's well, it's a good analogy. I th- I think yeah. I think the two of us, John, like yeah, I think I think with with barbecue and with uh, cooking in general, but especially barbecue, yeah, we, we're. At the sommelier level of <laughs> perfectionism, <laughs> just, but here no, it's and, like and then, <laughs> get all of the criticisms and critiques. I guess just in, in, in pork, it doesn't matter to me as much. Like when you're talking about some other things, then I, then I'll probably uh, you know my my wife and I are talking all the time. It's like you know whenever we go out to eat, it's like man, we really should take a notebook with us so because we, we always have all these comments and stuff that and sometimes we'll share them with the, with the waiter and they'll sometimes they'll be listening to it like this. And then sometimes they'll say, they'll say, oh, well, I'll take that back to the chef. And they probably never. <laughs> well, I think as it pertains to food, and this might translate to one of the questions that I want to tackle today, and I'm going to go in reverse order. I want to start with art and music. Um, but there is, even with food and cooking, Christian, especially, you know, like pork, I don't think we do it. One, I think we like to serve. Like, we want people to enjoy oh, yeah. eating. Yeah. Like, there's an element of that. There's actually, I think, leisure in that. But mm-hmm. also, yeah. we enjoy the experience. You know, like, we've been fortunate oh, yeah. enough to have experiences that have just been so transcendent around eating. And it could be everything from just the quality and the love that's in the food to the company that you're with. Like, when we had, uh, we went to your house this past June, you know, oh, yeah, and yeah. like everyone, like, that that's one of those experiences of time like you don't want to end. Now, Aleem <laughs> had to go ahead and ruin it because it was his birthday and they were going he out had to, to leave dinner. early. Yeah. Well, I can't eat as much as possible before I left, though. And I had, I, yeah. I stuffed my face yeah. about a half of a chicken and then I left. So. I was going to say, you ate a good amount of that chicken <laughs> before you headed out. <laughs> There's no way I'm letting this go. I just can't. I'm sorry. Listen. <laughs> So that that brings me to my one of my questions to the two of you and perhaps to our broader mm. audience. Uh, I've been talking a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, with one, another one of my really dear friends, and he is. That is a hard left turn. Well, you, you, you're going to see where I'm going. You're going to see where I'm <laughs> okay, going. Okay. Okay. He he has loved <laughs> comic books his entire life, and yeah. the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They were fantastic. You know, by and large, mm-hmm. everything that they did was great. And then universally with phase four, I mean, the expectations are high, but it's been considered a flop. Um, mm-hmm. There have been a few good movies here and there. And he and I were having a discussion and he was talking about one of the more recent shows. And like everything mm-hmm. is, a, is, you know, just being critical. And I have said, like, look, I'm actually just watching it just to enjoy. Like, I need to escape you know, just some TV. Mm-hmm. But what I also realized yeah. is that there isn't a whole lot of new creation. You know, yeah. Aleem, you and I have talked about this in music. Um, the same thing perhaps applies to architecture and not architecture in the grand, you know, 
buildings and churches and places of worship and skyscrapers, but I'm talking about even in the development that we live in, Aleem, like there is little to no creation. It is just recreations of things that were once beautiful, but not using the same materials to actually do it. It's just a facade. Uh So, um, and even with food, you know, to tie it back in, you know, like, you know, the idea that at one point you could get ribs at McDonald's seems absurd. Yeah, like really. when you when you yes, I was say we need some air quotes there. <laughs> but the whole point is like trying to manufacture something to sell rather than as we were just talking yeah. about, like a lean. I mean, excuse me, uh, Christian. It you were probably in total in ter- like prep time. Mm-hmm. You know, like sourcing everything that you did probably took a couple of days to actually do all of that oh, cooking. Yeah. You know, just for oh, yeah. one meal with yeah. your friends to share something special. So my question yeah. is to oh, you. Oh, and is, also finding the last the last satchel of whole hickory left in the entire home goods store, in the entire Lowe's or wherever I went to. Yeah, it was it was an endeavor. <laughs> so my my question is one: uh, Have we gotten to the point in society, and you can kind of pick it, where we're not creating mm. anything new, and and related to that thing? Do you think it harms um, harms us as people and or impacts our notions of leisure and relaxation. You know, like if yes. everything is, you know, of nothing is new and, and what affected it. I think there's, I've been following some folks on social and there's kind of like this growing movement comparing periods of great, you know, great architecture and design and thoughtfulness, you know, to now. And then, mm-hmm. you know, civically, and this can maybe tie into some of the political questions we have, like what are the ramifications and implications of not creating anything new, you know, just reproducing stuff for the purposes of selling it and not necessarily taking the step to create something new. What does it say about society? What does it say about us? Well, I mean, that's, that's the entire, not the entire, that's, that's a huge part of what the entire debate about AI has, has been right. And the moment that we're in, with technology, if you read any futurist from prior times, or even talk to someone in tech um, from from present day, Bill Gates, no matter what you think of him or what conspiracies you believe about him or anybody <laughs> else, the whole idea, the whole idea of having computer learning was to kind of get civilization to the next step, where where we mechanized agriculture that then allowed more people to get out of the fields and into factories. And then we mechanized more of the factories to get more people out of factories and into offices. And then now at this point, it's like, how many people can we get away from, or the idea was supposed to be, how much can we get humans away from repetitive work that we do not want to do in which we find no fulfillment, delegate that to machines so that we can then pursue creative endeavors that only humans can do. And what do we have right now? We have these stupid algorithms that make like cartoon art um, that, that steal, steal literally entire books, entire volumes from real authors to make regurgitated garbly gook that then has actually been caught being sold on Amazon. There's actually a class action lawsuit by a bunch of authors um, for, for their work being stolen and basically just repurposed on Amazon by AI. Um, and meanwhile, we have people who are still doing unfulfilling work they don't want to be doing, who can't afford the time to go and pursue any creative endeavors. Oh, and by the way, you have now these machines basically ripping off creative endeavors to the great enrichment of the people who created 
or who own these corporations that create this technology um, and to the detriment of everybody else. So, so, so here, here's, here's what, I've, what I've been observing. And I think you, you, you did a good job of laying out the, the, the intended progression of, of AI and technology in general. Take the mundane and make it easily performed by, by our technology or, or addressed by right. But the problem is, is that what that led to was us looking to find more and more things that fit into that mundane character, category, right? So we, instead of just mm -hmm. saying making widgets, now it becomes writing books, you know, or making, mm. or creating art, or making music, or making it's like, or making movies even. It's like so. Mm. So we're trying to to uh, assembly line everything, right? And this this is the yeah. problem, and this, this is something that I've, I've I've observed for a long time, and, and I and I I. I I attribute this sort of ideology to my father. My father was a person who very, always wanted to be original in everything. And it's just, he just mm -hmm. had a, a fierce originality to what he was doing. He's a chemist, right? So he, you know, he was like, well, I want to come up with something new. I don't care what anybody else, I want something new, you know? And, 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 I, yeah. and I appreciate that. Now, that's not always efficient, obviously. And it's not, it's not the best way to make money, right? right? If you think about it, if you think what, what drives sure. our world economy, that's going to run counter to that ideology. Right. You want to you want to make things easy, simple, reproducible, so forth. But when you try to create something new, that's when it becomes a, a, a slog. Right. It's it's like, OK, trial and error, failure after failure. And then you've got mm -hmm. something. Well, nobody wants yeah. to see anybody go through that. Frankly, it's like, you know, you want to see the end result. You want to see the product come out of it. Who wants to see somebody fail and fail and fail and fail and then get something new? Right. That's just not. Right. You know, so. So, you know, we'll just just to come back to music for a minute. If I'm going to write a new piece of music, a new sound, come up with with new, most people might not like it the first ten times I do it, and then I might hit on something the eleventh, like ah, oh, they like that one, and but but by the time you get to that, nobody's paying attention to you. So it's like, why would I do that yeah. when I can just take this sound that people made sixty years ago that everybody loved, and I'll just add a little bit of this and that to it, and there it is, you know. But so, see, but see, even that though is create. I, I would I would push back there and say even that though is is creative it's derivative but i mean musicians yeah. have always done that i mean and there are even um sound engineers and even just amateurs on social media now who actually will do explainer videos showing how like this this one bit of a horn from a, a jazz tune from the 1930s gets then put into this pop hit from the 60s is then put into this hip-hop hit from the 2000s like that's always happened but even that that act of getting inspiration from one of your mentors or from, from a, uh, another person you admire, another musician, another artist, whatever, and reworking that and putting it into something new, even that, even though you are borrowing and taking and repurposing, even that is an intellectual and artistic endeavor. Whereas if it's just AI, just but, but here, taking here, bits and pieces. <laughs> here's the thing, here's the thing, Christian. I, I agree with you. Yeah. It, it, derivative is not, it's not devoid of creativity. I'm not, I'm not making that argument. Right. What, I'm, what I'm trying right. to point out is the ideology, right? It's that, it's that instead mm. of starting from scratch, I can start from something else that will save me a lot of time. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, what, what we're doing is, is, you know, I don't want to use the L word of lazy, but, but the reality is, is that we're <laughs> trying to take shortcuts with everything. Right. And, and, and that's yeah. understandable when it, when it comes to, you know, when you, when you put, put your, your end goal up against the amount of time you have. Right. But when you're talking about pure creativity, mm -hmm. you maybe shouldn't be considering that entirely. Um, so I, so again, I don't have an issue with, with people, uh, you know, taking concepts before. I mean, in fact, frankly, 
engineering in, in and of itself. You know, what I do is mm -hmm. the act of taking something that's been developed and building from that. It's not starting from scratch. That's sure. That's more the fundamental sciences, right? Where you are, are trying to discover something new. And then I say, oh, huh, thanks for that discovery. Now let me see if I can <laughs> incorporate that into something else. That right. <laughs> no. Um. So so I I get that. It's just I I guess what I'm looking for is the ideology that says I want to do something different. I want to do something mm -hmm. new. And, and and looking for that and 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 seeking that as the goal as opposed to simply what is profitable, you know what is right. The, so again, it's 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 a little bit of a nuanced argument, I guess. Well, I mean, what what? Oh no, John, go ahead. I've been I've been yakking. The the only <laughs> points that I would add to that is that one, uh, I'm going to start with a question and leave it, and then we'll come back and maybe answer it. But my question is. Assuming that what both of you said is somewhat true, does it signal an intellectual decline in how we approach, mm. you know, art, music, engineering, science, et cetera? Um, so that's, you know, kind of the bigger question. But I think a few fine points. One, in music these days, I think there's no question that artificial intelligence for a long time has been dominating popular music and what people consume because it streamlines, it streamlines the product. The best mm -hmm. example of that is autotune. Yeah. <laughs> right like auto-tune forget forget you know the creative process of putting together a piece of music auto-tune mm -hmm. which is a computer program allows for mm -hmm. someone with an average to below average voice <laughs> to be positioned in such a way where them singing is commercially viable and then the only thing that matters is the the instrumentality around them and i'm not going to start naming any names or any artists, but it's a, it's a common practice at this point. Well, it's funny if you, T-Pain can sing. Yeah. T-Pain yeah, yeah, can, can for, for, sing. Yeah, yeah. Yep, but yep. what T-Pain talked about, I listened to him, you know, in a documentary, you yeah. know, T-Pain wanted to use auto-tune because he wanted to have something that distinguished him from every other R&B artist. He didn't think that he was particularly remarkable, you know, because he could just, he could sing while he was thoughtful and creative, but he wanted mm -hmm. to have a hook. So he actually spent a tremendous amount of time looking for this auto-tune program that was something that was kept behind the veil by bigger, you know, some of the bigger, you know, mm. music companies. And when he was actually yeah. able to find the program, it was like unlocking a secret. And then that became his identity, but it existed long before him. No, it, it did. And the problem, I read another thing too. The problem was that after he did that, he was not prepared for the fact that he basically made a meme of himself yeah. he basically became a caricature of himself yeah 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 well and someone that, told yeah. him i forget who it is but they're like hey man do you realize that you killed music and it <laughs> no seriously and he really struggled wow. with it. like he struggled i believe he struggled yeah. with depression like he really struggled yeah. because he could see the implications of what exposing auto-tune mm. well, on a much larger scale than it had been before had on music that it had on the creative process because now you were inviting people that that did not have the same abilities that he did and like look mm -hmm. you know there's there's a lot of subjectivity to this but it's like yeah. you know now you've given another tool to the music business you've opened the floodgates and now like anybody you know like you don't yeah. you can skip the line you don't have to go through yeah. the same rigor and training and discipline well you know, like you I, I don't know if you guys know this, my mother is a classically trained operatic singer mm -hmm. like it is just years and you and musician musician in general years and years of rigor and now, mm -hmm. you know, 
you could be someone, and I'm not saying that everyone needs to be trained, mm. you know, but your voice is something that you discipline. Yeah. You don't need to go through the discipline. You can skip to the mm. line and it doesn't matter how you sound, we'll auto-tune you. And again, I'm not going to say any names, but it's embarrassing when certain artists perform live without the auto-tune. There was a, <laughs> an artist a couple of years ago, you, everybody can look it up on the internet. There was an artist that sang at the NBA All-Star game and it went epically bad. And you can look it up. You want to talk about the meme about universe. I'm not naming any names, Aline. <laughs> well, anyway. Our, our listeners can go He's look a it up for themselves. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that like, you know, and, and my final thought on this is that about a year ago, I had an opportunity to go hear John Legend live. And mm -hmm. it was a small, intimate setting at a hotel here in D.C. And mm -hmm. it was him and his piano. And there was about three or four hundred of us in the audience. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the best concert experiences that I have ever had. Yeah, he's bad. Like, it's mm -hmm. a combination. What'd you say? I said, yeah, he's bad. Uh, I, I've I mean, heard it live. Not in person live, but recorded live. And you can, you can tell the, uh, the connection that he has to his music both in the, the writing, the production, and the playing. Like, just him and the piano. And he could, he could, is like the whole thing. And it, it ropes you in. Like, that is a musical experience, ropes you in. And to and the I point, think that there's a, he's, he's an original voice, right? He, his voice is not, he's not emulating yes. someone else's voice, right? That's true, that's true. Yeah. But, and like, and, and like, look, to, to Christian's point, like, you know, you build on those that came before you, or your point. Like, you build, like, I totally yeah. respect that. Um, and even the creative process of assembling different sounds to reproduce something different. Although I do have to note, I'm not going to give that credit totally to hip hop, mm. but hip hop took that and ex just took it to a completely different level. Yeah, you sampling, know, yeah. Because yeah. you had the original kind of the inversion that's happened with hip hop music is that the DJ was at the center of the music, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the DJ would add some commentary from time to time. You know, and then, you know, if the DJ could do it all, then you had a, an MC, you know, who would, you know, be the voice of, you know, what's happening with the DJ. And then the there was a flip flop. You know, the focus became not the DJ and the skill of the DJ, like mixing music, scratching, you know, like all the things that we would associate with the DJ. Now, we don't even really have DJs because there isn't really actually there is a place for DJs. And I think, you know, shout out to all the DJs in the world because like that's a different experience. Um, but then, you know, taking those sounds and rapping over different sounds, rapping over different beats, putting things together, which was still a, an intensely live experience because the creativity of the MC was like, okay, what can I say right now over these different beats? Yeah. How can I have this spontaneous mm. creation? Ride and what was low with the beat. Exactly. And what was no, happening I, in the background was almost irrelevant, just as long as it felt good. Exactly. Like it didn't matter who you made it. And then with as production, like, studio production really started to take hold in hip-hop well then it's like how can you recreate that experience in a controlled environment but that also was no different than the same any live taking any live music and making it um, a studio production mm -hmm. you want to control as much as you can my final piece on this if you want again to our listeners you want to do some homework cannonball adderley has this famous album um god i can't think of what's on it but anyway the idea was that he believed that jazz music always needed to be experienced live. Mm -hmm. um, so mm. what he did with this album is he just bought people into the studio and they just, they just 
made the they recorded the album like it was a live audience, and you can actually hear people clapping mm-hmm. in the background. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. I'll I'll, I, I'll mention the album I later. We had a conversation about Cat and Ball Adderley some years ago. You and you and I, John, we started talking about because he's one of my favorite uh, pianists. But but um, so listen. Uh, so you you mentioned just back to T Pain real quick. You mentioned uh, th- this this auto tune being rich. The very first uh, resurrection of this sound that I had heard was the, that share song. Do you believe in life? Do you believe? Really? Yeah, yeah. Reference, he referenced that. Yeah, yeah. With I, my, that's, uh, what, who, that's what got him. Yeah. In fact, because I got a lot of people like, what are you doing? And I just immediately thought about it. When I heard it, I immediately think of Roger Troutman, right? Because with the with the talk box, you know, you had the tube in his mouth hooked to a synthesizer, mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, and you know, and um, <laughs> I saw someone actually like do a demo of that on a TikTok <laughs> recently. I'm like, it's it was crazy to watch how we calibrated it and made the whole thing work. It was wild. <laughs> Now the skill to use that—it's not a computer program yeah. doing all that. But no, it's it, not. It's it's a process, and and then yeah. Um, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Teddy Riley. He he sort of used that a little bit in in the early '90s as well. So it's like, all right. So these are all evolutions of 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 actual creative sound that's not relying on back to Christian's point, the AI component of an auto tune style thing, you know, and then you have, you have, you have other instruments. The talk box was in the one, I think vocal, the vocoder was another one that created a similar sound. So now we take all of that, that actually took a skill set back to your point, your question, uh, John, about the intellectual de- 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 uh, degradation or decline, right? That took creativity, not, not by itself, but that took a skill, right? That's you had to develop that, and 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 then play an instrument and make music with your mouth and so forth and so on and then it goes from that to the technology taking over and it's like okay well like you said now I I just go in the studio and I sing as bad as I sing and somebody just auto tunes <laughs> the heck out of it and voila it's like that is th- there is something to be said about that in that we are letting ourselves be it, it, we're letting it be acceptable for us to be dumb. Right, <laughs> but, but can can we just? But I, I do want to draw a distinction here because I mean, yes, you're right about that. The the permission to be dumb, I I think that's a great line. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> point. But I, I I do want to distinguish between technology in general up until now versus AI, right? Because like after I record this with you guys, we're going to break, and at some point later, when I come back, I'm going to have a computer take out any fuzzy background noise. I'm going to have a computer. I mean, granted, it's me manually having the computer do it, right? But it's the computer processor and all these things, right? Um, you know, cut out any segments where the recording isn't right. Um, adding in background music, adding in an intro, adding in a conclusion, adding in slides, adding in, um, you know, the, the the title card, all of that sort of stuff, right? That's still, you know, our work, creativity we put into it that we then have a computer assist with. That's fine. That's one thing. That's different, though, than having AI just be like giving it a few prompts and then having this thing that is predictive, making something for you and you not doing the work. And then, I mean, this has come up a million times already in the context of academia and teachers and professors worrying about kids plagiarizing works or having AI do it for them. I think bigger picture, though. We're talking about huge things like the entire music industry or or um, it, the movie industry, whatever creative field it is. If we're using AI or, or if AI is being used, not by us, but it's being used, when you do have final products that are then put out there that are then presumably earning a profit, 
who owns that intellectual property? Is that property even to be owned? Yeah. And we're in like this this complete legal wild west right now where the law is nowhere near caught up to where technology has gotten us to. So so let, let just just, uh, you know, AI itself, we, we use that term in, and I, I can appreciate the point you're making here, Christian, because this is this does get complex. Right. In that what are we yeah. calling AI? Right. How many prompts do we have to give it before it, 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 it not it becomes not AI? You know, it's, it's, it's like it, right. it's really a gray area there. You know, I was I was watching a news report, CBS News, um, on Fei Fei uh, Lee. Um, she's actually studied at Princeton, um, and uh, she, I think she's in California now. But she's known mm -hmm. as the godmother of AI, right? Uh, uh, she's an okay. immigrant. I forget uh, her country of origin, but origin, but her family's uh, immigrated here. Um, but she she made some very good points um, about AI, and then probably one of the most knowledgeable people about it. Period. Uh, well, yeah. Her point was that there's really no such thing as AI without people, right? So we program mm. AI is is really it's almost a misnomer, right? Because it's not it's mm. doing it's still a computer program. It's there's no there's no uh, what do they call it? What 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 is it? Uh, awareness like that's not that's not a there's thing. no will. Yeah, that's yeah. not a thing. Right. That's 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 science fiction right now. Now there may be some at some point that happens or something, but that's not what exists right now. People program things to do certain other things. Right. So that art that you see, just the, I'm glad you made that point in the beginning of this conversation about the art that you see, the writing that you see, the chat GP, GPS and what for GPT, whether, whatever. It's using, <laughs> GPS, yeah. It's using Sound like an old guy. writing from other people, right? It's using art from other people. <laughs> right. Zakaria <laughs> GPS, what? No, no, anyway, it's, it's <laughs> that, that, that name of that show, excuse me. But anyway. Um, so, so it's using up what other people have done. So it's not, it's not coming up with this stuff. Right. So it's only as powerful as who programmed it. It's only as powerful as the information it, it's using. It's only as powerful as the information that it's waiting in its use. Right. So if it has, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 10 texts from this author or a hundred texts from this other author. That's the, the 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 what it generates is going to be weighted by those hundred texts by the other author. You know, it's mm -hmm. so it's and, and she made the, an additional point, which is another nuance to this whole conversation about the diversity. It still not exist does not exist. And she I, I believe she's Chinese. I think her, her, her background is Chinese, but she's like women minorities are not well represented in the programming of AI. And, 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 and that mm -hmm. in, in and of itself is going to limit the usability and effectiveness of of uh, of uh, uh, the the technology. Uh, so we have to consider all those things. We have to get people if we want to really make it something that is fair, usable, and 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 all those things. We have we have to expand people's intellectual connection to the technology. Okay. That's the that's the part that 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 I feel like is so important that you guys have made is that we have to put our minds into this, even, even if we use it to give us, to, to even, even if we use it to allow ourselves to think less, we have to find ways to think more in, 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 in getting the technology developed, right? So we have to input ourselves into it. More of us have to be in computer science. More of, a, more of, us, more of us have to be in computer engineering and, and coding and all these things in order for it to really work. You know, so we can't avoid that despite the, the, you know, the, the the, the efficiencies that it gains us. You know, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, um, I was trying to find something. There was this, I was curious about the 
comparison between the processing power of the human brain and the most powerful computers. And from what I can recall, there's no comparison. You know, like, there's just no comparison, even the most powerful computers in terms of brain. And people don't, from what I can understand, the the experts at this, they don't really try to compare the two because it's just like apples and spaghetti. <laughs> and Christian is right. The one area where you apples can at spaghetti. least test out some of these ideas is science fiction. You know, like I'm yeah. a science fiction nerd. I love Star Trek and I love the way that the next generation deals with data and data sentience. Yeah, you know, like I, you know, I knew we were going to end up at this point, and I love it. I love it. Well, right. I mean, but <laughs> the whole theory. And like, look, you know, for our listeners again, if there, there's a great, uh, there's a few great episodes, especially early on and later on, and this is the theme that even continues into the Star Trek universe as it's expanded from TNG. Mm-hmm. You know, but this notion yep. of you know, like, at what point? And it wasn't just data. You know, there was another. There was another robot. And the question of sentience is an interesting one. Like, at what point and how powerful is a computer that it has awareness and that it has will? You know, like, these are the basic two concepts. You know, that it is acting independent from, um, independent from any input from human beings or its creators. Uh-huh. And it's interesting. You can see that play out. I'm not going to ruin this for our listeners. I would encourage everyone, but you can even see it play out in uh, one of the prequel series, um, Star Trek Discovery. You know, this idea of a sentient computer. Like, you know, how do you arrive at sentience? What does it take? What are the inputs that it takes to arrive at that? And science fiction, I mean, like you pick The Matrix, you know, like there's so many different science fiction movies. But I think the general conception is that right now, we are not at that point. You know, like we no. are... No. We are not close enough where... You know, and even in a, of our understanding of ourselves, where we can empower a computer to to have its own will and awareness. I think it we we with that said, like to humanize technology. So you yeah. know, if I think about another science fiction movie, I think about iRobot. But this inclination that our technology has to have a human face, or there has to be some kind of anthropomorphizing that goes into how we think about technology. Even when you think about the cloud, like. It is interesting to to tell people that the cloud is not a physical space. Like technology is not existing in the clouds above your head. It is a very real place with a very defined, you know, space. I've got a cloud in my house. It's right there. It's a hard drive. I can access it from anywhere in the world that I want. But it is a I can see it. I can touch it. I can turn right. it off. Um so, but with that said, you know, this is a point that you made, allowing ourselves to be dumb. We allow ourselves to believe that it is something ethereal and not something physical and real that has been created through science and by human hands to better mm-hmm. assist us in doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that. Well, also, what we're talking about right now with the yeah. with 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 AI, like like you're just saying right now, John, and, and sort of what you were saying earlier, Liam, about about where we really are at versus where we might fear we're arriving at, is that what we're talking about really is predictive text. I mean, things that we've already had integrated into our work lives for several years now, we're at another iteration of that, a next upgrade, if you will, where it's not just predictive text, but predictive paragraphs and predictive pages and predictive artwork. But, you know, (laughs) right, right. But it's, it's, we're nowhere, we're still nowhere. I mean, there's, I don't even know how much work to be done between getting to the point of, of being able to anticipate um, what this, you know, 
hundred word email should be versus having self-awareness. I mean, we don't even fully understand how we are self-aware as humans. We understand how <laughs> different regions of the brain accomplish certain tasks, but how it all comes together and gives us a sense of self, we're still tinkering with, if you will, and trying to figure out. No, that's, that's well, a, you know, and it's interesting, even the idea that AI could prepare a legal brief, when you think about it, it's not mm -hmm. that complicated. I mean, Christian, we learned how to do yeah. Uh, yeah. a proper boolean search in law school but we use artificial intelligence wait 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 do you mean boolean key search no i'm talking about the stuff you put in your uh boiled say, water you're talking about are you talking about making soup paper if you want to bring if boolean 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 soup booyah Boo i'm chicken and beef and i will yeah i'm saying but no yes thank you for that correction yes that's exactly what i meant no, you know, ten I mean, toes down. I'm cooking. I'm cooking right now. Let me cook. I was gonna say I got I gotta go to the grocery store after this pod, but uh yeah, I'll make sure I add some bullion to my shopping list. <laughs> yes, yes. Um I I'm out here some all right, I'm not even gonna say our classmate who uh got everything wrong. All right. Um Oh don't yeah, don't yeah. No, I, I was no, no, I was no. talking to her. Uh, anyway, offline okay. conversation. Um but yeah, at yeah. any rate, you know, like the idea of doing the search, like it's not, you know, like if if part of legal writing, there is an element of legal writing that is, it is regurgitation. Like it is proof to the court that you understand mm -hmm. the law and that yeah. you are properly informing the court what law they should be looking at. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of that is established. And at this point, it's just all digital volumes, mm -hmm. you know, so a computer mm -hmm. can do that a lot faster than I could go to the library and look up the case law and try to reconcile the mountains of case law over X period of time. Like I can make in mm -hmm. a computer kit, at least I could see write a piece of a brief. If you give it the right um, commands and constraints, you know, and like we already know, like it's gotta oh, be yeah. certain font, you know, different courts have different, um, different ways that they want to stylize how their briefs are presented. Like all of those things, that is really, that is the, the simple part to do. But there is the element of creativity that is human, because ultimately you need to make uh, not necessarily the right argument. You need to make a persuasive argument. Mm -hmm. And I think that yeah. there's a difference. Yeah. You know, like a computer could make the quote unquote right argument, but there has to be an element of persuasion. And I don't want to say that that's a uniquely human thing, but I can't think of something else that can persuade another human the way a human can. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, I think it still is. I mean, there's the famous example. I can't think of the the name of the case, but there's a, a, a famous example from, I think it was earlier this year, in fact, of an attorney who went to a colleague down the hall. One was licensed in federal court. The other was not. And so one went to the other saying, hey, can I can you go ahead and file this for me in this matter? Because I can't. And the guy said, yeah, of course, like whatever. Went and did it. Turns out his colleague, who was licensed at the state level, but not in the federal level at the federal courts, um, had put together this brief using AI and was found out right away. And they both got dragged in front of the judge and disciplined, they find from out? what I recall. Um, yeah, I got to find the story. I, I was not thinking we were going to be talking about legal briefs in this sure. pod, but um, they, they, it, you know, the court looked at it and there was something that didn't add up. Um, and that's the, the thing, too, is that um, what there are several journalists who, who have done some deep dives trying to see just how much you could use predictive text, use chat GPT, I think mostly to try to make so-called creative works and you know, not, you know, a novel, perhaps, but 
a legal brief, um, a news report, an article, something like that. Um, just how far you could do that and have it seem like it was legit and came from you. And what in a few pieces I've read, what the conclusion they came to was it can make something short like an email. When you get into persuasion, to your point, John, when you get into actually making an argument, making a case, trying to explain a story, whatever it is, it starts to fall apart because what it does by being merely just kind of a, a string of predictive text is it uses a lot of buzzwords and terms to make it seem like it knows what it's talking about to someone who may be not be an ex who, who may not be an expert, but to someone who actually does know what they're talking about, they're going to read it and go like, well, you just went in a circle there. That didn't actually like have a, you know, an art that wasn't Kriak, right? There wasn't a real argument that you thought out and, and a conclusion you arrived at and, and you didn't persuade me of anything. It really does still have, even though it has access to every word in the English language, it, it still can't do that same sort of, persuasion you're talking about at least not yet anywhere so interesting interesting point so you guys are talking from the legal brief standpoint but even in technical documents it's probably it's i would say it's a little bit easier even even to do something with uh with with ai you you have to provide mm -hmm. now you you would do an analysis itself and, and i mentioned this because i toyed with uh pre-ai just uh, uh creating something of a template for uh a safety evaluation some some something we do when we review certain technical um, you know, a 60-page document, long, arduous mm -hmm. to write, but there's a lot of form text in it. There's a lot of text that's going to be the same with just changing a few names and, and numbers, right? So mm -hmm. I was like, man, I could just create a, a, a form where you input the numbers in those names, and it'll spit out 60 pages for you just like that, because I'd say 75% of it, the words are going to be the same. It's just the analysis of the mm -hmm. numbers come out differently, and the, the numbers are above here, below here. It'll use other words. So, so AI could do all that, but but what happens is is that what it's devoid of then, to your point, is the persuasiveness, the the language, the cadence, the individuality in the in the analyst, right? That that the analyst provides mm -hmm. to that, right? Where where they look at uh, a, a result and say this result tells me X and Y, right? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you explain that. So even even in a tech, from a technical standpoint, there's still room for that. So just to bring this sort of full mm -hmm. circle, what we started earlier, it, to me, it's the philosophy, the ideology that I want my creativity in this document. I want my creativity in mm -hmm. this product. I want it to be unique to me, right? I absolutely mm -hmm. abhor chat GPT, which is probably why I think of it as chat GPT. But I just, I just <laughs> the whole idea of it is is like so abhorrent to me because it's like I would never want my words to be mm -hmm. the words that I present as my own to have come from someone else. Like plagiarism was, you know, is is is, is pro, uh, much more procrastinator I was with doing papers and and product and and and, and uh and and schoolwork that required long amounts of writing. I could not, and this is what why I sort of suffered. I couldn't take shortcuts because I said I can't mm -hmm. I can't put somebody's words on paper that aren't mine. It's just I had too much, too right. much pride in ownership of what I'm saying is is coming from me. So it's like I've never mm -hmm. imagined plagiarizing something, and that's really what Jack yeah. GPT is, is 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 enabling, right? It's enabling you to, in a sense, plagiarize, right? But instead of yep. plagiarizing from one person, you plagiarize from millions, right? Uh, so so it, so mm -hmm. it's like if we have an ideology that we want and we take pride in our creativity, we take pride in our individuality and in, in, in our, our brain, you know, 
then I feel like we'll, we'll naturally be inclined to, 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 to address AI with a little bit more carefulness, right? I, that's just, just how I see yeah. it. Well, I, I yeah. have a thought on that. I mean, one, I gotta, I gotta pull your card. Incredibly uh, interesting and interesting phrase. You were dabbling around with a little pre-AI. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Uh, two, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the bigger, I think the bigger takeaway from that, the thing that I take away from that is um, the more, and tying this back to my original question, I think the more that we look to, and it's interesting, I don't even know if we're giving it away, the more that we look to push off onto AI, you know, what what are we, what are we giving up of ourselves and our humanity? And I know that sounds really philosophical and pie in the sky, but it is that element of ingenuity, you know, that element of creativity, mm -hmm. which gets pushed into persuasiveness. Like that is actually what I think is a part of the, this is where I'm in really deep waters, but I can, you know, I wonder if that's not a part of our evolution, you know, like our ability to take in new information and process new information rather than just regurgitate everything else. I mean, like if that is the case, yeah. you know, then we stop advancing, you know, like mm -hmm. the, as you were talking about earlier, our ability to progress is predicated on our ability to synthesize and advance. Right. And if we are mm -hmm. taking that, that away, or if we start to take that, that out of the equation, then we start to build, you know, a ceiling as to how far, you know, and evolution, by the way, I know we talked about this pre-meeting, but evolution isn't necessarily progress. Evolution is adaptation, right? right? You know, it may move it forward, but, you know, your adaptation may be to survive and not necessarily get better, even though the two perhaps overlap. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that to me is the more, the, the deeper concern, you know, as we develop a dependence on technology and we allow ourselves to be dumb, uh, to use your phrase, Aline. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, I think that's the real concern. And like, look, um, there's, there's almost an incalculable number of science fix texts uh, text and movies that, that test this idea. You know, like what happens, you know, to broader human evolution when we put this on pause. And there's some people, you know, some of the, you know, I was listening to a uh, an astrophysics pod and they were talking about um, why, why it is that we have not interacted with alien life. Um, and Aline, you and I have this discussion, you know, but, and like, look, I think this is for another pod, you know, but. The idea, yeah, I, I think I think Neil deGrasse Tyson actually already has it, but yeah. Well, yeah, Star Talk. <laughs> Shout out to Neil deGrasse yeah, Tyson. Exactly, yeah. Um, right. But this actually wasn't this wasn't this wasn't Neil. Um, I I can't think of the name of the another really well known physicist that you can find on social. Is you know, you guys gonna say Kaku? I'd, I'd have to. I don't remember. Probably his name, the other he, most. In, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. British guy. Yeah. No, no, no. He's. Uh, oh no, no, no. He's he's American. American. No, no. This is this is a um, this is a Brit, but. Talking about okay. like, you know, there's like, you know, four reasons why we haven't uh, encountered life. Um, but one of them is that, you know, that there's this idea that <laughs> that a species that's been around for a long time has evolved so much where they view biological life as inefficient. 
and they evolve into basically intelligent machines, which <laughs> sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous, but yeah, like, I would encourage, you know, like it, I would encourage, I, I, again, I don't remember his name, but this is, this is a theory. This is an idea, you know, but it's like, yeah. you know, but for the same reasons, it, it's not that far fetched, you know, like part of what our reliance on technology is the inefficiency of human production. You know, is it not? I mean, that, I mean, we just talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. you know, rather than having yeah. groups of people till the fields, you know, or water the fields, mm-hmm. we just have a big machine that we can put on a timer that goes back and forth because humans get sick, humans get tired. Or it's, even just pipes throwing the water through instead of irrigation. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, you know, right. this, that's right. not like the idea, but you know, the question is like, you know, the, the theory is basically like how, to what extreme do, does, and like, this is taking you know, course over the billions of years that uh, the universe has been that we know in existence. You know, like this is something that just you know you reach a threshold point. And there's like the yeah, anyway, but I, I you know the I think that you know the ultimate question is how do we evolve and what elements of our humanity do we keep and what what role does technology play? And like artificial intelligence has been around for a while. Like as long as Microsoft Word has been able to tell you that you spelled the word getting wrong. Artificial intelligence has it, been around. Exactly, which which goes to my point of view. Right. Remember, I, was, well, I just told you that you pulled my card. That I, I am indeed the godfather of AI. Is that? Oh. <laughs> 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 and the reality is, is that we're just using AI as a terminology when when it can seek out much more vast sources of data than just a few. You know, mm-hmm. what, what I was trying to create was just going to be looking at a couple of paragraphs. Based on you, you telling it yes or no, and then pick one paragraph and pick if you give it this number, take another paragraph. So it was very simplistic, um, but it's still the same principle. It's like you give it prompts, how many prompts, you know, it, it varies, and it searches search, search data. The vastness of that database is the difference. Um, AI, as we know, what we call AI, looks at trillions of bytes of data. Whereas I was probably looking in the hundred byte type range, so, um, so mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's but it, it's 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 all the same concept, you know. All right, so let me let me do another wild change of gears, if I may, gentlemen. <laughs> can I can I can I ask just rapid fire questions for your reactions? Hot takes. All right, let's yeah, do it. Hot takes. Fun. All right, hot take number one: Is Joe Biden Whoa. losing young Democrats? Yes. Yes. Why? Yeah. A few different things. I mean, yeah, the the, the age thing's been an issue. Um, his handling of everything since Hamas's attack on um, October seventh and Israel's response. Um, he's done uh, a magnificent job showing empathy to one side, in a way that I don't think any other president could. But he has been, and this is not me speaking here. This is there's been <laughs> some. Um, organizations that have actually spoken to him behind closed doors, apparently, according to some reports, he's really not done a great job um, showing a whole lot of empathy for civilians who are caught in the middle of this conflict. Um, And that's really reflected poorly for younger, more progressive Democrats. Um, But that being said, you know, we we do live in a two party system. And if we looked at what's happening with Republicans, um, just in the past week alone, with this clown car of a debate and the fact that Trump, despite being up against, what is it now, 94 different counts, 
um, is still the presumptive front runner. I mean, it's yet another one of those elections that we don't want to witness. Um, you know, thinking back to 2004 again, it's we, you know, have come sort of full circle after 20 years. Nobody wants this election to be Biden versus Trump, but that's going to be the choice. So I, I, I'm going to offer just a slightly alternative uh, reasoning for the, our answer here. We, we, Trish and I both have the same answer, but I'm going to boil mine down to one word. It's messaging. I feel as though all of the, what Christian said is true, but the reality is, is that he's, he, that wouldn't cause him to lose uh, young voters if they, we simply did, a, we, meaning those who w intend to vote for him, um, if we just did a better job of messaging. I frankly don't think that, you know, we've gotten this, this notion in our minds that we have to talk about what he's doing well or what he's done well. But the reality is, is that the right has shown us that that's not what we have to do, what's necessary at all. You just have to talk about what the other side's doing poorly. And I think it's so obvious that if you just point out all of the failings of the last uh, four years of, of Republican or last six years of Republican, seven years of Republican uh, 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 politics, there is no possible way that a sane person would support anybody but but their but their opposition. It just so I feel as though we're doing such a bad job of pointing out how bad the other the alternative is is that people actually believe that that by saying I'm not going to support Biden will get you somewhere but that's going to get us in a worse position and that's what people aren't, aren't thinking. Well, but I think that the tide is going to shift yet again and I think it already has a little bit when we saw the elections in Kentucky and Virginia and Ohio and the polling that came out of the New York Times the day prior that got everybody panicked, I think that's that's definitely going to narrow. It's a full year out from the presidential election. What we saw in those elections that are, you know, not in solid blue states, right? I mean, like Virginia has been skewing blue or, or trending blue off and on since 08, but took a hard right turn with the election of Youngkin as, as governor in the last gubernatorial race. Um, but you look at Ohio, that's been actually that that's gone from being a swing slash bellwether state to being much more conservative. And Kentucky is no one's idea of a Democratic state. And yet their Democratic governor just won reelection. Yeah. Granted, he had a lot of wind at his back. He had a lot of things in his favor. Um, but that still was not, you know, that that was not a, a guarantee. But what we saw is that and and this is sort of what a lot of Democrats have been hoping for and predicting is that. The GOP and especially Trump, when he was in office and was appointing uh, justices of the Supreme Court, they really they really seriously got way too far out over their skis, um, really pushing social issues. The number one, of course, being the right to choose an abortion. And what we saw is that in you know, all of those races and especially in Ohio with with the constitutional question, the state constitutional question there is that voters, men and women, including not just independents, but a lot of more conservative, more Republican leaning voters, they still believe that the GOP is on the wrong side here, the wrong side of history, and that despite all of their lofty rhetoric, well, what used to be lofty rhetoric about about individual freedoms, right? They are the party that's actually trying now to micromanage people's personal lives and inject the power of the state into the most personal of decisions. And people, regardless of their religion, regardless of race, regardless of a lot of different other demographic factors, are showing that by and large, they've gone too far. And that backlash is going to continue through 2023 and into 2024. So here's my, my take on that. And then we move on to the next one. I think that uh, Joe Biden has lost the moral high ground 
And I think this opens him up to, he's lost the moral high ground on how he's dealt with um, the conflict with Hamas, between Israel and Hamas, the, however you want to use that, however you want to phrase it right now. I don't think your average voter has enough time to think about the nuance of the issues. So what they are seeing is that there's a, there is a lot of civilian killing going on, just a lot at a really rapid rate. And I think people were willing to support um, Joe Biden in Ukraine because it seemed like, you know, the, the, the good and evil, if you were the good and the bad were kind of obvious. And I think most people could easily gravitate that, you know, like this is a country invading another country under, mm-hmm. under albeit different premises, you know, but still, you know, this is mm-hmm. a vastly larger and more military superior country, you know, looking to claim. And it looks by the day that Israel is not really cloaking their mm-hmm. desire to just take control of this area by any means that they see fit. And Joe Biden is like, hey, they got to do what they got to do. Yeah, and... but let me let me push back. Let me push back here because I'm, I'm and my 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 pushing back here is not coming from a a moralist position, but from a very political. It's through a political lens that I'm looking at this. Sure. When you're talking about your critique here, what you're the the concerns you're addressing are concerns to the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party that is not going to go for Trump anyway, come hell or high water. Mm. If you look at how this same issue was addressed on the Republican stage in their debate a couple days ago, uh, they completely, no matter what you think of Joe Biden's response as an individual, you or any of us do, they made it clear that that Biden still does have compared to them anyway, comparatively speaking, at the very least, he still does have the moral high ground because he at least is showing some humanity. I can give you tons of critiques from my own perspective of how he has handled it and how um, John Kirby has handled it from the White House press briefings. I can give you plenty of feedback on that. And I think it's important some of the shit they've said. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what anyone on that stage said, including the candidates of color, it has been absolutely disgusting they are talking they are they are making this this big ball of wax argument lumping together hamas civilians equating them to mexican drug cartels and then standing there at the podium and saying i would wipe them out i mean they are literally talking about just clear it just complete complete and utter destruction so so i hear what you're saying but i i I respectfully would submit that that critique is only being seen by a small slice of the electorate the rest of the population writ large they're not seeing that distinction they're seeing the d versus r distinction and in that distinction biden most definitely comes out i think i think with that exchange that you and john just had is exactly my point is that i feel like john's absolutely right there's probably a a 18 to 30 maybe demographic who believes that if they say Biden is he's lost the moral high ground, they, 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 they feel that and therefore they're not going to vote for him, right? And because of that, that's going to, that, a non-vote for a Democrat is a vote for a Republican, right? So in, in a sense, or half a vote. Mm-hmm. So, so the reality is, is that you can't, right. you, 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 can't, you can't allow that message to go unchecked because you're absolutely right. There's a there's the progressives that are going to vote, vote you know not going to vote Republican one way or another that are going to that understand the argument that you made the you know the D versus R argument mm. that hey yeah it's bad yeah. think Biden's doing yeah. on this you better go watch that debate you'll see a whole bunch of right. murderous heathens basically on the stage and, oh. and then, mm-hmm. you know, that's really what you got all right I mean, it's 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 insane that any of these people 
can be can consider the you know again you know we're Christian right John John you and I I mean a Christian you're 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 Christian's you're, a, Christian's Christian Christian in, in name only yeah in name only <laughs> yeah but, but the reality is that moralistically speaking there is no way that I could consider any person on that stage a Christian it just doesn't the way they speak oh yeah no. Life, how like you're 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 sadists like really you're, you're that's exactly no that that's exactly right it's it's literally life itself i mean i i rewatched that segment before coming on to do this pod and they they did not take a fraction of a second to even distinguish between individuals groups whatever they all when they when they were posed the same question by the moderators they all had different versions of the same response i would tell bb that i would kill everyone i've heard they, they said finish a job once and for all that was chilling um they said um you know take them out and then ramaswamy says i would tell him to take them out push through your southern border and then by the way i'll do the same in north america and attack our southern border it's like oh and, oh and by the way they threw in bombing iran okay cool so so you're saying you're saying bulldoze gaza um um attack iran oh and by the way let's go and like arm like militarize the border with mexico or like like absolutely like no regard for human life whatsoever nor any of like the real world repercussions geopolitically of what any of that that chaos would cause not it's really sad but yeah i'm sorry no 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 i agree and like look i think you know that you know the it's not pushback it's debate and i think it you know it's Mm. it's worth the discussion and i think the nuance is important i do think Aleem, to your point, you know, the there is a risk, especially considering the margins in the last election, there is a risk to losing any vote. Um, but I think also in defining mm-hmm. the the moral compass of the Democratic Party, I do think my take is that Joe Biden has to be careful. Mm-hmm. Oh, like he has to be he careful does. because what yeah. what he's also not doing, to your point about communication, Aleem, is perhaps articulating. And I've heard some reporting on this, articulating why he feels such an unwavering support of Israel, but that he comes from a different time. Mm, oh, like, yeah. He's a lot mm. closer to the reason that depending on, you know, mm, I don't care whether up. you agree or disagree, but he's a lot, he's a lot closer mm. to understanding why Israel is so important in the broader context of uh, uh, protecting human life. You know, like this is the guy that apparently took all of his kids to, I forget the name of the concentration camp in Germany, take, take his grant and he takes them one by one. It's like, you know, these are the things that we can't allow to happen on our watch. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that, you know, people are making the argument that you are allowing it to happen, you know, mm-hmm. on your watch. It just looks different. So, yeah. you know, I think this is actually an opportunity for for Joe Biden and his administration to take a really clear stance on the sanctity of human life. Yeah. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I think I still think he can do it. I still think it's difficult to say that there's still time to do it because then we're talking politically and we're not talking from a human perspective. One human life has been shed. It's too much. It's already too late because mm-hmm. those lives aren't coming right. back. So, so but you do need to, you do need to say, I would love, per- this is me personally. I would love to hear him as many world leaders are now saying, this is not how you conduct yourself. And I'm not saying that you don't have a right to defend yourself. No one is saying that international law is pretty settled on that. You pick mm-hmm. your tradition, you know, right. you pick your religious tradition. You know, I obviously think a lot in terms of the Christian and the Catholic worldview. I think of Augustine. I mean, you there is a, a place for you to defend yourself in a certain context, and there's certain actions you can take. 
with that said, it is not a blank check for you to do whatever right. you feel is necessary indiscriminately to to protect so, yourself. And the problem with the high ground, Aleem, I know you want to come in, sorry, but yeah. you know, this is also an opportunity, I think, for Joe Biden to distinguish himself from, in terms of president, from the the citation that Bibi Netanyahu gives for justifying his actions. He said, we're not doing anything different than the U.S. did when they were bombed on 9-11. Yeah, exactly. We're not doing anything different. Mm, right. and, and, but, you know, Joe Biden also in that same breath, as I understood, counseled him like, hey, take it from me. So, here, so you know, yeah. He was in the Senate at the time. This is not the way that you want to do it. Like it just opens you up for incalculable suffering and not just of your people, but people in general. Like how yeah. many lives were lost between September mm -hmm. 9-11 and, you know, when we pull out of uh, when we pull out of Afghanistan yeah. you know, two years ago? I mean, you just think about that. Oh, for a I mean, second. no, no. Brown Brown University maintains a, a a counter of the taxpayer dollars, the U.S. lives, the Iraqi lives, the Afghani, and yeah, I I, I checked it a couple of weeks ago. It's astounding. It is, I want to say, approaching double digits in the trillions of dollars, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of lives, mm -hmm. both directly and indirectly. And that's I've and I made that point in in my writing recently that this is. It's not a perfect parallel, of course, like n none ever is. But the fact is, there is a point after which you pass it and it's like it's, it's no longer purely self-defense. Right. And I cannot and I'm talking about my own country here as an American, not even talking about Israel for the moment. I, there is nothing that I can justify about how far our country went under the Bush administration and in successor administrations, but especially under the Bush administration in the the years after 9-11. It, it was the, the perception was in the days, weeks after 9-11, we had so much international support. We had so many allies behind us, even countries that were not maybe our best friends are still behind us because of the horror of what had just happened. But you saw how quickly we destroyed any of that international goodwill, any of that respect and made ourselves an absolute pariah and detested by even countries that were previously our allies, save maybe the United Kingdom, because everyone could understand that what we did was go well beyond self-defense or even retribution. It went beyond. And everyone knows that. And the, the numbers don't lie on that front. We, we, we do violence like no other uh, civilization in the history of the world. <laughs> I mean, even even the models, well, I mean, we have capabilities well beyond. I was going to say because with the technology, <laughs> yeah. of course. But yes, well, yes. So, so, yeah. so I, solutions here. This is what I. This is what I. You know, I've I've been th toying about this in my mind. Is like, how to solve this? I I feel like it's you're in a position where you sort of have to cut your losses in terms of 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 making this right. Right. So, okay, we're not going to stop Israel from uh, attacking or at least going in uh, doing what they said they're going to do, which is getting rid of Hamas. Right. But we can have them institute a humanitarian pause that does get out uh, a, a quantifiable number of civilians so that you can reduce civilian casualties. They're going to level Gaza. They've already done half of it already. So here's what you do. You say you have them uh, contractually agree to rebuild the entire Gaza Strip and agree to not take any more land from Gaza. As all, all, all conditions of any kind of funding and support they get from us, they have to rebuild it, they have to turn it over to the Palestinians, and then they have to recognize the Palestinian state. That, I mean, here's the thing, though. I, and, I know, I'm sorry, go, I, I thought you were... No, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but but that, that should be yeah. something, basically, for the cost of these lives that they're taking, that should be uh, uh, agreeable. 
right? And and the fact of the matter is, is that you have support of a very appreciable uh, number of the Israeli population, not necessarily not in the cover current government, but the population of Israel mm-hmm. actually doesn't have an issue with most of that, right? Um, so, but they've got to use the funding that we're giving them to have, to rebuild what they've destroyed. And what I, they, all right, let let me ask you a question: uh, What should the U.S. response be if Gaza is leveled and it's not turned over to the Palestinians, and in fact? Uh, they expand the settlements, the Israeli settlements. It, that's a good. That's what, a, what, what should the U.S. response be to that? We we have to sanction. I, I don't. I don't think there's any other answer. We have to sanction Israel because that, I, I, that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, this is. I'm no. thinking about. I'm thinking about just thinking out loud. I'm not taking a side here, you know. But if we're that's also thinking that politically, I mean, in a sense, I mean, what? I mean, like you're 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 invading another country. Without them invading you, um, and you're—I mean, it's—it's it's, you're doing exactly what Russia did is trying to do to Ukraine. Well, they annexed well, no, Crimea I, already. Yeah, I was going to say I got to push back on that. I—I I mean, as much as I'm—I'm I'm very critical. I got to push back on that. It's I, that parallel I can't get down with because there was a terrorist attack that was completely unjustifiable. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, and so it wasn't, that, terror, it wasn't a terrorist attack from the is from the Palestinian government. It was a terrorist attack from an uh, no, of course. Well. Right. I mean, here's here's just just so I can kind of get this out of the way, sort of the 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 premise I'm beginning with is that the Palestinian people living in Gaza are effectively stateless, right? Because they do not really have any sort of diplomatic ties, any economy to speak of. They are they're dealing with Hamas that the last time there was any sort of referendum, any sort of vote was at a time when half the population of the strip wasn't even born yet. Right. And the leadership of that organization that is pulling the strings and commanding these acts of violence is not even in the territory, right? They are, they are staying at hotels hundreds of miles away, living the high life. They have nothing to do with the, the, with, it's not that they have nothing to do. They have everything to do with the misery and suffering there, but they are not themselves victims of it. But my point is, I can't like as much as I can be critical of so much of what's happening, I can't get down with that equation or that 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 parallel because of that fact is that you've got a situation where there was a terrorist attack, and like John said earlier, no one's saying that you need to sit there and take that. No one is saying no. No one reasonable is saying that you should allow that sort of atrocity to be visited upon your citizens. That being said, we also can't then have an entirely different double standard where then your reaction is beyond scrutiny, is is beyond any sort of questioning, is beyond any sort of analysis, because we do have international law and we do have human rights that need to be respected. Yes. But I just, I just to kind of clarify that point. No, I, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back a little bit on that, on that Christian, because I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, but the reality is, is that they're going, if, if they're going to, we're, we can chalk up that they can go and get root out Hamas, right? We've already accepted that, right? We're not we're not going to stop that at this point. Not not in any kind of right. logical political uh, scenario that I can. Mm. We're they're, we're going to we're going to allow them to do that, but in return, they have to agree to mm. not seize the land, right? And that. Is- oh, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Yeah, yeah. No, just just to be clear, I'm not I'm not pushing back on that point. I was simply saying the, the Russian equation. So, that, that's all. What I was saying was if in John's scenario happened, meaning that they did try to mm, the that's when they become okay, oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 okay, okay, all right. So yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, John. Sorry, no, go ahead, Christian. Well, now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's why. That's <laughs> why ahead. I said. That's go why ahead. I said you're good. I mean, like you know, I think 
the the only the only I think remaining question if we kind of bring this back to 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 Joe Biden is you know how does in in terms of a moral stance on human life right like this is an mm-hmm. opportunity or forget the morality I mean humans you can't say forget the morality like we all have a moral code that we either aspire to or that we participate in or some combination of the two but I do mm-hmm. think you know how he handles this and how he articulates and justifies it matters mm-hmm. and how he communicates his position matters you know like right now his his oh yeah his position seems like it is a blank check and everything that is happening under his cover is uh assume you know we're assuming is happening with his blessing mm-hmm. um and i think it's hard for young voters especially people that are coming of age to vote you know in the in the wake of everything that's happened in terms of um the 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 killings in this country especially of people of color you know, like, how do you square all of that with, you know, what's happening now? And I think, I mean, I think that the real problem, though, like, to your point about what he can say, is, you know, when he was, oh, gosh, he was outside the White House, what was this, a couple of days ago? Time, it's the days running together. But um, he was asked point blank by a gag reporters, okay, like, what is the threshold for you? What's the red line, the number of civilian casualties that would lead you to call for a ceasefire? And his response was, oh, there is none. Just keep going. Like, I'm sorry. Like, as, as much as I, of course, support Joe Biden, especially over Donald Trump in the next election, that's, that goes without saying. Like, I cannot imagine a more callous and thoughtless answer to that question even if even if you want to say that your administration is completely supportive of israel for x y and z reason okay fine but that does not mean that when you're asked a question that was not about whether or not you support israel the question was at what point how much bloodshed would lead you a civilian bloodshed let's be clear was the question how much would require you to say, hey, let's pause and reassess, and you just wave it away and say there is no such number? I mean, I that yeah. that is <laughs> – I'm not the most successful PR person ever or political operative ever, but, like, why would you say that? It's a dumb and like, look, this, this dumb. is the I'm- – yeah, it's yeah, it was a stupid answer. And this is a time where he arguably has the most attention on him. You know, like this is mm-hmm. an opportunity when there's constantly a microphone in your face. I mean, the news cycle is just revolving around this. Like you can't not yep. see it on a day by day basis. And I know that part of the Joe Biden persona is like, look, I'm shooting from the hip. I'm going to say what's in my heart. And again, I would say that if if what you are really trying to communicate is that you have seen like your concern is the rise in anti-Semitism. Right. And you mm-hmm. have seen historically what how anti-Semitism as a sentiment translates into action. And if you were saying that there is no 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 limit to what you will do to to suppress the rise of anti-Semitism, I get that. Like that's your experience. Like that's informed you. Okay. At least share that. But when you give an answer like mm-hmm. that, you just seem like you are making a thoughtless and reactionary decision. You don't care how many exactly. lives are right, right. Uh, expelled or expunged because of something that you hold deeply. And I can even get down with that. But at least you owe it to the electorate, not just the people that are going to vote. You owe it to them. And I think mm-hmm. that he is, he is strong and established enough where he doesn't necessarily have to play politics 
with every Republican. That's been a staple no. of his presidency. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go back and yeah. forth. You know, like, I, I, I can stand on my own. Like, I've been at this longer than a lot mm-hmm. of these people yeah. have been around. This, this, it, mm-hmm. it's so important that we do this. Like, I don't care what they say. I know he's still got to get elected. Mm-hmm. I think it's imperative that he gets elected. But, like, seize the moment, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, too, is that there's, there is, there is no reason why he can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Like, th- there's, there's this really thoughtless, um, space that we're all in where people are wrapping together Hamas, Palestinian civilians, the actions of a right-wing government in Israel that's been right-wing for 20-plus years, and a prime minister who was on his way out, who had protests in the streets about him up until this went down. You have his government's military response to this, and then you have the instances of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia here in the United States. And people are just lumping all those things and all those instances and all those actions and all those people together and then picking sides in that nebulous space. And what I would say is that for the president of the United States, there is the bandwidth to show respect for human life, to promote humanitarian efforts in the middle of a conflict, to support a government that you believe is justified in pursuing terrorists responsible for civilian deaths, and also on the domestic front here at home, stand against Islamophobia mm-hmm. and anti-Semitism. I don't think there's any contradiction in walking and chewing gum, but I mean, that's just me. Well, like, look, and no. the final thing is it was supposed to be a rapid fire question, and this has been it. Um, but <laughs> well, I, I do think... Uh, I, I, oh, wait, given, the, the, given, the, given the subject matter, I'm not sure it was ever... Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that I think Joe a Biden, his, his greatest... Yeah, his his greatest vulnerability is that now whenever Bibi Netanyahu speaks personally, I can't not hear Joe Biden. You know, like if he gets on, mm. you know, because it's like, you know, we are we are the ally, you know, like mm-hmm. slowly but surely, even Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron. And you can fix my French, Christian, you know, but he's starting to create that Whatever. distance. A lot of the Central and South American <laughs> leaders, for what it's worth, are creating that distance. Um, God, that sounded horrible. Only. Uh, but you know, it's just like at some point, you know, like you realize I'm in a no win scenario here. If you you set me up like that, then I gotta put I gotta put at least a five dollar bill in the d bag jar I, if I, I if I correct someone's. Christian, no. I actually love I French is one of the languages that I I truly want to learn, and I really appreciate the accent. Uh, I appreciate the language. I can actually start to distinguish, you know, Parisian accent versus perhaps. You know, someone from Cote d'Ivoire, like you pick your place. I actually really like it. Mm. You still have to put some money in the jar, but that's cool. Um, But yeah, anyway, you know, like, you know, I think Joe Biden learning from history, he's got to also walk that that very careful line that Tony Blair, if we were to use that example from all ago, like with him, with just line him right up to George Bush. And George Bush is like, look, that's all the legitimacy that we need. This is another global superpower, you know, blank check to do whatever we want. And that that's just. You know, it it is it is poor statesmanship. It is inhumane, and uh, there is I do believe that the the voters coming into maturity, they are more informed. They are they do have stronger opinions. They are more engaged, and you got to make the case to them that you know we've been telling you know the the left has been telling you got to care about people. You got to care about what makes people different. You got to be compassionate. You know, everyone should have the same civic accessibility. You know, like that is the world that they're coming into. And it's hard to square that with, you know, what's happening right now. 
All right, next question. And unfortunately, in a two-party system, I was going to say, and unfortunately, in a two-party system, it, it does come down to a binary choice come election time. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. All right, next question. This is more so for Aleem. Aleem, are NBA stars <laughs> okay. thumbing their noses at the new rules requiring that they play? And for our, no, that's entirely for Aleem. I'll just uh, and for, go ahead. And for our <laughs> listeners, the NBA, uh, the the I think it's the new CBA, basically requires that new NBA players are not allowed to take back-to-back nights off. Um, and to start the season, we've seen nothing but NBA players, the quote-unquote stars, missing games. They also have, in order to uh, qualify for end-of-year rewards, they have to play a minimum number of games. Uh, to start the season, there have been a number of noteworthy players out or injured. Some that were injured before the even the season even starts. When you turn on TV right now, maybe you'll see one of the five or six stars that are playing just because one reason or the other. Aleem, is it legitimate that these guys are injured and not playing, or is it just the era that we live in where it's load management or some combination of the two? I, I think it's I think it's definitely a combination of the two. I don't think there's any any. Uh coordinated effort to uh, thumb their nose at the at the rule, but at the same time, people uh, are adverse to, to being told what to do. Uh, you know, and, and that's reasonable, especially when it comes to your health and your body and, your, and the wear and tear you put on the vessel that you use to, to earn profit. But at the same time, so I, I, think, I think what potentially happened, which happens in a lot of corporate structures and corporate organizations, is that there was not uh, a, a well- Change management was not well uh, uh, incorporated in this process. I don't think they had good conversations about it. I don't think they had good buy-in from all the players and on what that means and how it would be forced and how it would be implemented. And you wound up with people, you know, some protest and some just say, I just can't do it, you know, and some, you know, uh, teams saying, hey, you need, I need you to sit out because I need you healthy. And, you know, and, and people strategizing their way around that rule affecting them adversely. So that's why I see Okay. Uh, and it's funny. I'm so critical of it, but I, I've missed the last like two weeks of both of our uh, basketball groups because I've been tired because I've been working too hard, uh, but I'm not getting paid to play basketball either. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, uh, Tuesday's election. Uh, maybe Christian, this one is for you. Are Tuesday's elections foreshadowing what's to happen next year in the 2024 elections? So I, I've given some commentary on this and um, wrote a piece about this on Substack mm-hmm. uh, this past week. Check it out, yeah. Uh, like I was, <laughs> um, oh yeah, and and for the uh, you know the the money in the d bag jar, the the commentary was in French, the writing for Substack was in English. So thank you, John. Um, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> um, no, so so look, I mean. It, Two things happened within roughly 48 hours, right? Or a little bit more, give or take. But you had the release of the New York Times Siena poll that everybody was panicking about on Monday morning, um, talking about about Biden being behind Trump in all these key swing states. Uh, then the next day, you've got, like we were talking about a moment ago, uh, Democratic wins in the Virginia Senate, Virginia House of Delegates, um, in the Kentucky gubernatorials race in, in Ohio with the uh, vote on the right to an abortion and uh, right to choose in the state constitution. Look, like I was saying before, the it's not going to guarantee a win for Biden and no one should be complacent. That being said, nobody should be panicking like they were on Monday morning thinking, oh my God, the, the sky is going to fall in. People do need to 
get registered, register their friends, get out there and vote, make a plan to vote, especially people living in swing states, living in Ohio, Pennsylvania, et cetera. Um, but what is clear is that there are voters, even who are not Democratic voters, not reliable super voters, but but conservative, uh, moderate swing voters who realize that there's a party that is actually standing up for democracy, even if it's imperfect, even if it has elements that they do not agree with. Um, and another party that that is has for decades preached small government and has preached personal responsibility and individuality, um, but that is more than happy to use the power of the state to intervene in personal matters. And that that is contrary not only to liberal ideology and viewpoints, but also completely counter to traditional small C conservative values um, that the Republican Party used to at least um, superficially stand for, if nothing else. And so it's a it's a, a strong showing. I'm very happy to see the results. Again, it doesn't guarantee a Biden win, but it does mean that Democrats need to keep their heads down, get to work, um, but not give in to fear and panic. All right. So speaking of perhaps guaranteeing a, a Biden win, uh, the Trump family was in court last week. Um, and this was really <laughs> this is the, the New York, <laughs> the New York fraud trial. <laughs> and uh, the just for clarity, the judge, this is a judge, uh, a, a, um, the judge making the decision. It's not a jury trial. The judge has already concluded yes. that the. Trump organization committed fraud. So now they're trying to determine what the appropriate remedy should be. One of the things that uh, is at was a major point of the discussion was the Trump organization inflating the value of his assets for more favorable terms on loans. One of the more interesting things was uh, the size of his uh, one of his condos in New York. Um, the New York, mm -hmm. the New York Times podcast, the Daily, I mean, the Daily did a brilliant um, kind of firsthand mm -hmm. account of what happened in the courtroom. But and they talked about, you know, Trump not being able to help himself and even on the stand inflating the size of mm -hmm. his apartment. You know, so I think it was like just under 12,000 square feet. And there's yeah. a very precise number. And they and the Trump organization said it was like 30,000 square feet. And so as he is being um, questioned on the stand, you know, basically asked him like, OK, so you just just as a matter of fact, your I'm just going to say 12,000 square feet, your condo, your apartment was 12,000 square feet. And the is like, yeah. And then, you know, they just come back to the question just to it's like, well, maybe it was 13. You know, maybe it was four. You know, maybe it was 17,000 feet square feet. And he just kind of repeatedly gets goaded into this. And it, it is actually kind of hilarious because he can't stop doing it. And then his no. uh, his children, uh, uh, in particular, Don Jr. gets on the stand and apparently is rather indignant at the idea, one, that he has to be there and two, that he would have just signed documents with that. The fact that he signed documents without looking at them, why he's not he doesn't understand why that's not a big deal. He's saying this on the stand. Uh, he's mm -hmm. saying this in front of a judge. Um, the judge also uh, has to reprimand Donald Trump for getting off topic and making this a political rally and not answering the questions that are in front of them. Mm -hmm. My question yeah. is this trial foreshadowing what is going to happen in the 
incalculable number of of trials that he has over the next 12 months uh the part of the analysis like he just can't help himself like he's going to do or say something and now the most recent thing is that where he and previously had agreed that he didn't really have a choice because cameras aren't allowed in federal trials Uh, but at any rate like now there's a petition to have uh the cameras in his federal trial for i don't even remember which one um but anyway, well, I mean, is this foreshadowing? But we're talking right now about the, but we're talking right now about about the the state trial in New York, correct? That Tisha James's office brought right, correct? Yeah, I mean, so look, I, the fact that he he lied to inflate his assets, we knew was going to happen. I mean, Stormy Daniels, anyone? I mean, inflating his the value of his assets and the size <laughs> of his assets is sort of his thing, right? His assets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got huge but, hands he's got huge tiny <laughs> hands All right, sorry. huge tiny hands um but but you know it, it depends because because he's it, the story that dropped this morning is that now he's actually petitioning for a change in the rules so that he can have cameras in the courtroom because right. he does i mean he wants that right like he knows at some level or his attorneys at least know that he doesn't have a prayer in a lot of these cases and so his play is to try to win in the court of public opinion. Like, even if he didn't want to be president again, he needs to win because that's his get out of jail free card. Right. Um, but, you know, in, in the case of the New York case, it's it's really it's not about the it's not about the election scheme. It's not about any of the other stuff. This one's purely about his business and his property mm-hmm. in the city and state of New York. And a, a lot of commentators are, are pointing out that's most likely why he's taking the time to be there in person and take the stand is because you're talking about his reputation and his money, his reputation within that sphere, not the political sphere. And but most importantly, his money. Uh, you know, with the criminal cases, of course, he has okay. he has the constitutional right to not self-incriminate. So I'm not sure he's going to uh, have the exact same approach that he's having in the state civil case. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the guy, he he cannot. I mean, his impulse control is less than that of a child. I mean, it's like an actual literal toddler. Right? So we'll see. The fact the fact that the judge has now, I think, twice fined him. And also implored his attorney to control him and warned him that this is not a political rally. I mean, it's Donald Trump. Do you think do you think that so your answer would be no, this may not foreshadow what's to come in his non so I mean he's this is does he have any outstanding oh, civil trials? Civil. I know. Does it is there one more? Is there one more, one or two more civil trials? I, I've lost count at this point. I believe he's got one. Um, the, is it, uh, what's her name? Well, the E. Jean Carroll case Carroll, is civil, right. Right? That's right? That's, that's, that's for, I mean, the, because the statute has run on a sexual assault criminal charge, but she's still suing him or she, she prevailed in suing him in civil court for defaming her, alleging that she lied about the sexual assault. He was found to have, to have indeed assaulted her and then lied about it and defamed her and was then found liable. They're back in court now because immediately after that wrapped, he then went back and defamed her again off the same set of facts based off the conclusion of that initial case. And so now that's back in court again in New York. So there's, there's two separate right. uh, civil cases in New York, but then in terms of the, the Fulton County, Georgia and the district of Columbia, the, the DC case, those are criminal. And uh, to your question about those, uh, I'm, I, I don't know because, like I said, the, we're talking about criminal matters here, and uh, I, I I can't imagine 
any attorney, no matter how bottom of the barrel he is down to now in the list of available attorneys, I can't imagine any saying that uh, he should go and take the stand in his own defense in a criminal case. I mean, that would just be insane. It would no, make I think for good he television. Fundamentally has, uh, oh, it would be amazing to... television. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah, I think I think uh, at least anyone who's been paying attention to him knows that it would not serve him well uh, to show his face in this in this particular arena on camera because he's just he's not good under oath, <laughs> frankly. Um, but that doesn't stop him from <laughs> yeah. winning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> He's not good under well, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you all saw when um when Sarah Silverman hosted the Daily Show this past week. I mean this is this is if you if you don't know anything about the, the rules of evidence, uh state or federal. But her joke was, you know, are you kidding? You're just gonna ask him about this stuff if you have him under oath? Like, no. Ask if there's a P tape. Ask about Stormy. Like, just go, just get everything out there. Just get it all on the record. Yeah, uh, he won't, he won't be able to actually not... control himself from answering it. Oh no. my goodness! Well, yeah, part of it is actually no. it's, it's not even impulse control; it's habit. He he's been told that this, or he believes that this is the right strategy. You know, like he he thinks he's doing the right thing. Yes, a lean with the hands. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, very big. It's very big. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. Very, very anyway. big. <laughs> <laughs> With his tiny Ken doll hands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> goodness. <laughs> what, what's your final rapid look, fire? Right, uh, uh, what's your final rapid fire? Question? I think that's it. I think. I, I think we've got all of them. We talked about the Trump state. Aleem, oh. Aleem, don't, 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 don't tempt him. He's covered. He's covered. He's covered NBA. He's covered artificial intelligence. Covered um, the 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 war in the Middle East, the presidential election. Exactly. I don't know how much more we can. Fit well, in. Of course, but, but I will. I will. As as we wrap up, I will bring one one thing back full circle that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the the Colorado Buffaloes, right? Mm. Uh, what's happening is sort of you know. I, what I was concerned with what might happen is that now that they, the, the team has not been as successful under Deion Sanders as it initially started out that they appeared they might be, we've lost all context of all of the good messages that Deion was, was saying and providing. And that was my concern, was that we tie the relevance of, of his statements and his encouragement and his motivation and all of the good things he was saying, we tie it to the success of the team. And that's wherein I think we are now. Now they're much, very much a non-factor. Nothing he's saying is getting them very much play, uh, and that's what we do. We celebrate, make everything a celebrity-driven. So, anyway, just a thought. There's some reporting on that that the some of the teams in that conference have been sharing information about how to beat them. You know, like I think there's a little bit of oh, resentment, really? and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's a there's a, a resentment that. He's just come in and he's, it's been the Dion show and it's been all about him. And, you know, people don't like that mm-hmm. because, you know, they've been out there winning, you know, after, or the Big mm-hmm. 12, whatever conference he's in. I mean, you know, people under the radar have been working really hard. Colorado, and like it can't be understated, Colorado won three game, one game last year. They have been a complete non-factor. And they're four and five as of last night. Um, 
and you know rather than have a realistic approach to you know success and like this also i mean you were in the penn state hat i mean i saw an article this morning that this was another hollow season for penn state right penn state has lost two games this year and they've lost to the two teams that they lost to were number two and three in the country respectively or one and exactly three. and i think ohio state one is, is one in the country <laughs> Right. I mean, these are close games, but, you know, now, well, since they can't beat Michigan and Ohio, we have to just throw everything out the window. Like, there is no other factor other exactly. than coaching incompetence. Never mind, they've been destroying everybody else. The, the two teams that are consistently <laughs> in the college football playoffs every year that everyone has difficulty beating, they, they, can't, yep. <laughs> they can't beat. I mean, what is worth two years ago? And Jim Harbaugh at this point has all kinds of issues now. But they were saying the same thing about Jim Harbaugh. Like, well, he can beat everyone, but he loses one game a year and it's still Ohio State, so we have to get rid of him. And it's just like there's there's (laughs) no room for grace. This is why I wasn't high on, you know, super high. It's not that I wasn't super high on Coach Coach Prime, but it's like this is going to take time. Like, yeah, he he came in, he had a splash win. You know, he was really successful, you know, at Jacksonville State. and um, and like, look, Jacksonville State's a different animal than playing in a Power Five conference, you know. And as someone that's gone from an HBCU to a school in a Power Five conference, uh, it's night and day in terms of resources, uh, training resources, organizational mm-hmm. resources. Like, it is different. Like, the love and support's still going to be there, but it's night and day, you know. Like, I'll never forget we had yeah. a, we chartered a bus to take us to the airport to fly us to a match. Uh, we had vans at, at my other school, you know, like, like y'all better catch that subway to the airport. I mean, like it's, it's different. Like it's just totally, totally different. And like, there were six guys on the team. We didn't need a bus. We didn't need a bus to take us to the airport. Um, so at any rate, uh, you know, yeah, coach right. prime, you know, Colorado, especially for them boys. What'd you say? So they were they were toting y'all around like they did us D two players. We got the school bus, the big yellow cheese box. <laughs> nah, man, we 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 had that we had that chart, we had that Greyhound baby. Um, but, but no, uh, living the high life. <laughs> I, I I think uh, I think you know as a society, generally speaking, tying this into what we talked about today, even our first topic about our own mental health and about taking care of ourselves. You know, whether it's giving grace and mercy to other people or giving it to ourselves and having boundaries and you know, saying like, hey, you know, I've done enough. Like I can relax. You know, it's so weird, especially as 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 I get older, as we all get older, knowing that you can't it was the energy that it took to get to the top of whatever hill that you were at, it's not the same energy that mm. you need to be on the hill. Yeah, if that mm. makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there might it be does. another hill that yes. you want to climb. Yes. And that's going to take a different kind of energy. Um, but before you can yeah. climb that other hill, you know, you need to have that plateau. You need to have that time of rest. Yeah. You know, like there was a, yeah. a coach that I used to work with, brilliant man. He was he was the senior, the most senior coach of the place I used to work. But he said, like, look, you know, people want success to be just one constant rise to the top. And it's like, you know, yeah. that's just not how mm-hmm. development works. You know, it's stairs. You yeah. know, like you have moments when yes. you shoot up and then moments when you plateau. And you have to recognize you know, that a plateau may not be permanent, you know, like you need time to have things rest and settle. As a matter of fact, um, I'm a, I'm a give my final point is a shout out to our recently deceased uh, professor from, well, at least my contracts professor from the Howard university school of yeah. law, 
yeah. Werner Lawson. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember him in one of his many soliloquies uh, during our contracts class, you know, said that, you know, you, you guys these days, you know, you don't take time to let information settle. You just want to get it all and regurgitate it and just keep moving on mm-hmm. to the, the same thing. You know, what's going to make yep. you excellent is giving time for what you've learned and what you've acquired to settle. You know, but in order to do that, it, it has to rest. Well, I think the same has mm-hmm. to apply to us. You know, like whatever that next mountain is, whatever that next hill that we need to climb is before you can do it, you know, you got to rest. You know, you don't, if you even apply that yeah. practically, if you're, if you're summoning a, a tall mountain, you don't just do it all in one day. Like you set up camp, you rest and you yeah. keep going. You don't do it without stopping. So, you know, as you guys are as, yeah. as close to brothers as I can have, you know, into our audience, make time to rest. It's okay. Yeah. And I think honestly, if I had listened, I, I didn't hear that exact version because I, I didn't have Professor Lawson for contracts. I had him for a couple of other classes, though. But if I had, uh, I think if I had heeded that advice more um, in the past 10, 15 years, life could have been, th- there may have not been so many unnecessary hardships and bumps in the road. I think that um, there are a few other pieces of wisdom he shared. Uh, uh, where I, I can recall certain instances where classmates audibly kind of guffawed or gasped or some other kind of, you know, knee jerk reaction to things that he said because they really didn't get it and didn't, it was not about intelligence or about, um, it, it was about life experience and wisdom that at 20 something we just wouldn't have had. And he did. And, uh, yeah, he was he was nice enough to share a lot of those bits of wisdom with us. Um, I think a lot of us may have not. I can't speak for others, but I, I know for me in particular, there was there was some pieces of advice that I needed to hear, but maybe was not yet old enough to fully uh, digest and appreciate. It's amazing. You get older and stuff that your parents said or the elders in your community said, they all make sense. And you don't know it because you don't know that you need to know it doesn't make sense to you when you're a kid, you know, but it's true. I was talking to Snell about this this morning. It's wild. Growing up, you hear, especially from my parents, you got to keep working, you know, and you've got to, you know, you got to take serious the work that you're doing. You got to put in the right amount of effort and work and to hear them now say like, are you taking time to rest? And what, (laughs) yeah, what, what I actually learned. And I I heard this on the, I saw this, you know, some gif. Um, but, and I think we shared this before, but we, don't recognize that we're watching our parents grow up as we grow up. Mm -hmm. Like if you Mm -hmm. think about, I mean, you know, Christian, you were 28, 29 when Ronan was born. 28, 28. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, like you look at a 28 year old now and it's like, Oh man, they're, they're, they just stopped being kids. (laughs) Yeah. No, I look, I I look back now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's it's wild to think about it. Interesting timing. But there's so much you're learning about life. I can think about how much we, I mean, I was, you know, had no idea what I was doing at 28 years old. So at any rate, (laughs) more grace, more mercy. I think we all need it to ourselves and to others. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both as always been a pleasure and uh anybody listening or watching please like share subscribe all the requisite social media crap you got to do to get this thing out there would appreciate it and uh yeah let's end it there